That brings us to the third section, the seven trumpets. This is the third section, the seven trumpets. This is chapter 8, verse 6 through eleven nineteen. In this division, there are seven more judgments announced by trumpets. Then there is an aside that once again deals with the people of Yahweh in the midst of the seven trumpets. In this division, there are two sections. The first section is the blowing of the trumpets. In this section, Yahweh reveals the seven trumpets that bring seven more judgments. As with the seals, the trumpet judgments are organized by four major judgments, followed by two secondary judgments, and concluding with a final trumpet that's interrupted between six and seven with an aside, which brings the storm and the earthquake of Yahweh and unveils seven bowls, or vials, depending on old school thinking. The first four affect creation, the second two deal with the demonic spiritual realm. Some of these judgments can be identified and some cannot. This middle set is probably the hardest one to identify of what's happening. It doesn't matter what view you take. Every view struggles with what is happening here. How does this match up to history? How does this match up to world events? How metaphorical? How literal is this stuff? We are probably in the most difficult section of matching this up to real life situations of, of any of the three sets of the plagues in any kind of way. Um, the plagues affect many people, but not everyone and not those who are sealed. There's a clear distinction that the people who are sealed are not being affected by these plagues in any kind of a way. Just like Israel was spared from the plagues of Egypt when God came down with them. The seven trumpets of judgments escalate because they are directed against the people who are increasingly defined against Yahweh. As humanity goes on and on and continues to shake their fist at God, the judgments begin to escalate even more and more and more, and that's what we're going to see here. The escalation warns of more to come, yet as always with the love of Yahweh, there's always a call to repentance for them, those being judged. It's only at the end of time that there is no chance to repent. Until then, anyone can repent and be sealed by the Lamb. How do we understand these? Some see the seven trumpets and bowls happening sequentially. So we go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven happens sequentially in chronological order, and they're just like following the train track. Okay, and that's how they interpret this. But as already mentioned, just because they're in sequential order of God saying, this happened, this happened, this happened, that doesn't mean it's communicating chronology of sequential. A to-do list is in a sequential order, so to speak. I had this one as my first one but I may not do my to-do list in that order. And nor did I arrange them in that order because it was like, I have to do it in that order. Now, some people might, depending on your to-do list, but that doesn't mean a to-do list has to have that. Nor is each item being done at one at a time. There's no sense anywhere that these are happening one at a time. Okay, yes, it says they broke and then they broke and then they broke. Um, but once again, we don't have any dates. We don't have any length of time that's happening here. The odd thing is that these threaded three sets of judgments is that the seventh seal does not unleash a judgment, but the seven trumpets and the seven trumpets unleash the seven bowls. So that's hard too, is why does God have this stacking order thing? Um, and that's a very difficult thing. Another possibility is that a lot of people take this view is that they're all happening parallel with each other. You have three railroad tracks, so to speak, and three trains, and they're all simultaneously running along their tracks. So this, as the seven trumpets are happening, sorry, 
as the seven seals are happening at the exact same time parallel running with them is the seven trumpets at the same time parallel with that are the seven seals and what you have is these all happen at the same time and what these are is these are three different perspectives like standing three different street corners watching the same seven things happen and so you got person A over here watching seven things happen. And then on the other side of the street corner, they have a different view and they're watching the same seven things happen. And then from another view of the street corner, they're watching. So they're all watching seven seals. But one is one perspective. The trumpets is the other perspective. And the bulls is a different perspective. Does that make sense? Like the Gospels. The Gospels are four different perspectives of the same story. So therefore, this is all recapitulation. This is all recapitulation. We recapitulate through the seven trumpets. We recapitulate through the seven seals. Therefore, these people would say the seals are focusing on the judgments affecting humans and the civilizations and the institutions that they created. We see the wars. We see invasions. We see conquests. We see people turning against each other. The seals are focusing on people, institutions, and everything that they created and what's happening to them. Where the seven trumpets is Yahweh's perspective. It gets a lot more metaphorical in these seven trumpets. We're going to see some really weird things. Locusts with women's hair and all this kind of stuff. And it seems to be that it might be more the heavenly perspective. And every time we get a picture of heaven, Ezekiel chapter 1 when he sees the throne of God. Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah sees the throne of God. Um, Daniel 7 with the beast coming out of the sea. We all agree that this isn't literally the way it looks, right? Babylon isn't literally a winged lion. Greece isn't really a four-headed leopard. But we all agree, like, these are strange and highly metaphorical because they're trying to describe things that are heaven that we've never seen before. And so the seven trumpets get way more metaphorical, way more strange, way more spiritual-like. We're, we're learning about the four angels or demons at the Euphrates River. We're getting more of a spiritual perspective that as we watch wars and armies invade each other on a very materialistic level at the same time there's this spiritual demonic angelic thing that's happening behind the scenes that only one in the spiritual realm would be able to see and so the seven trumpets is the same thing as the seven seals but it's just from the spiritual realm perspective and then the seven bowls focus on how it actually affects the planet itself what it's doing to the trees what it's doing to the rivers, what it's doing to the lakes. So the three perspectives seems that there's just seven judgments, period. And the first is the perspective of humanity and institutions. The second is from the spiritual realm. And the third is from the creation perspective. What is this actually doing to nature itself? And you'll see that when we get to the seven seals, there's just a lot of one-third of the oceans, one-third of the rivers, one-third of the trees, one-third of the grass, a lot of that being kind of stuff, the sun and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a possibility. One of the reasons that people take this perspective is that all three of these sets end with a giant earthquake and fire and thunder and storms that seems to be totally global. And a lot of them argue that if this earthquake is truly global in the sense it's rattling the entire planet, and later we're going to be told that mountains are collapsing and islands are sinking, how in the world is creation surviving this three times? in a chronological order. And, 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 and yeah, you're like, well, but they're not. Yeah, but there's, who's left over by the third earthquake? That's the thing. There's got to be at least enough people that one-third of everything is dying. 
Oh, I mean, one. Th I mean, if we're tr if, okay. There's only like three people left, and so one third of them died at the the final one. And so a lot of them say this. This just seems odd that they're all ending in the exact same way. And then when we get to chapter 17, 18, when Christ shows up, he shows up with thunder and lightning, all this stuff. So a lot of people are saying that each one of these is ending with the second coming of Christ from just three different perspectives. Now, one of the difficulties with this view is that none of these match up exactly. You can't really go to seal one and say, oh, yeah, that really matches up with trumpet one, and it really matches up with bowl one, and then two, two, two match up with each other really well, and three, three, three match up. It's really hard to make the match up. So this is truly, if you had the four Gospels, do they have differences? Yes, but they match up really well. You can say, oh, yeah, this is Jesus in the temple. It matches up with John's perspective. He adds a few more things. Oh, this matches up with the parable that Mark gave. It has a few extra details and left out some things, but this is still the same parable. You, it's, you, it's hard to do that with these, to really match them up. Now, the response to that is, but apocalyptic literature doesn't need that. It doesn't need exact one-to-one -one matchups because it's all highly metaphorical. And, and even watching the sunset doesn't completely match up with sitting on the circumference of the earth and rotating backwards as everything disappears. Yeah, it kind of does, but it's not anywhere close to the same language. And so that would be the argument here. The other possible view is that this is more of a spiraling kind of a thing. Um, that yes, there's a sense that they're happening at the same time, but not in a... This is this one event that we're having from three different perspectives. But rather, like, maybe in China, they're, because they're falling away from God at a different rate, at a different perspective, they're somewhere in the middle of the seals. But in America, we're falling away from God in a different rate, and we're somewhere in the middle of the trumpets. And then, like, Afghanistan is somewhere else, and they're in the middle. And so this is more of a spiraling tornado thing where you have multiple tornadoes happening around the earth. And, and the idea is that um, these, you could be moving through these judgments in different places of the world at different times. And so everybody, every nation, and we can see this, right? Certain nations collapse faster than others. Europe is way further ahead of us in their moral depravity than America is. And they already seem to collapse a little bit faster than we are. And in, 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 in Canada, it seems to be further ahead of us. And then you've got other places that, like, they seem like they've been, like, some um, Islamic countries or um, Syria and Iraq. They've been, like, way deep and just falling away from God for a long time. And so one can say that different parts of the world and even different moments in history at one time, the Canaanites were really horrible, but then there were, we, we've come out of that. There's nobody like the Canaanites anymore. And so we've come out of that. And this comes with the idea of Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. And so the idea in Deuteronomy 27 through 28, um, 29, sorry, God comes to Israel and says, we briefly talked about this already. He says, if you walk away from me and reject me, then I will allow famine to come in the land. Your crops will die and that kind of stuff. And if you continue to go that way and do not repent, I will allow wild animals to come in and ravage things. If you continue to do that, I will allow foreign nations to come in and attack you and steal things. If you continue to do that, that I will allow them to come in and actually live among you and oppress you. And if you continue to do that, then I will allow plagues to come in and kill your family members and, and diseases and all that kind of stuff. And then if you continue to do that, I will allow major wars to erupt among you. And if you continue to go on without repentance, then I will bring exile and I will remove you from the land with foreign invasions. 
And you, in the book of Judges, you see they went through this. But then there was a revival, and they cried out to God. And God kind of reset the clock a little bit. And he took them all the way back to the beginning, and they started all over again. And then he reset the clock when they repented and revo- came back. And then, and then they kept doing it again, and then he's like, well, I'm not resetting you all the way back to the beginning, but just a little bit back, like stage three. And then, then later they just kept doing it, and he kept resetting them with each revival, but they didn't get reset as far back as they normally will until eventually exile did come. And we see this with the Canaanites, and we see this with the judges, and we see this with Israel. Um, and there's a sense, and even says in First Chronicles, um, if my people repent and cry out to me, then I will heal their nation. But the minute there's a revival, we immediately start falling away from God again. And, and, and it, Canaan was way closer to that destruction than Israel was. And Israel was way closer to that destruction than Babylon was. And, and God said all the Babylonians are in that cycle. As Israel's being, as, as Judah's being carried off into exile, God says all the Babylonians are there too. And one day I will punish them. But they're obviously not as far ahead in their digression into exile as Israel was, right? And Israel wasn't as far as the Canaanites. A lot of people take this view and say that this is what God has been doing over and over again through history, and different nations are at different stages. Then they take it, yes, these are sequential. It is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, trumpets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seals. One, two. But everybody in the world might be in different stages. And maybe America got really close to hitting the end. And then there was the Great Awakening. And it reset us back. And then we got really close to hitting it again and again, the hippie movement. But then there was a Jesus movement, right? And, that, and every country is in their different stages and they're all their different revival points and being reset. And God resets everybody back to a different place every single time. And only God knows. The chronology is not important. The matching them up is important. All it's important to know is no matter who you are and what nation you're part of, this is the progression you're going to go through unless there's revival. But ultimately, everybody will end with a final great earthquake that brings the second coming of Jesus Christ. Does that kind of make sense? So the, the first view is basically it's all happening sequentially, period. Everyone in the world is going 1 through 21. Seven seals, seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls. And everybody in the world, one day in the future, is going through these. The other view is that this is one event of seven judgments from three different perspectives. The seals gives you the street corner of humanity. The trumpets gives you the street corner of viewing it from the spiritual realm. And then the other the seals gives you the street, sorry, the bulls gives you the street corner of viewing it from creation's perspective. The other view is that these are sequential, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way through 21, but every nation and every point of history is at a different point. And revival sets them back to the beginning or almost to the beginning or halfway point. And then we rebel again and we keep going and God brings judgment and judgments and judgments. And we're all in different stages. And right now America might be like somewhere in the trumpets. And if we have a revival, we could be reset back into the seals, so to speak. Maybe. The idea is we're all in different places, and that's why there's no numbers, there's no datings, there's no length of time, there's no sense of this happening, this happening. Because if you're reading this as a Chinese Christian, you're in a completely different place than if you're reading this as an American Christian, so to speak. And that this is all happening between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense?
Now, obviously, I tend to lean towards the third and final view. But even then, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like it makes sense of what God has done in the Bible for all this length of time in history. But nowhere do we get this sense that any of these cover the entire planet. It's only the seventh one of each one that we get this global sense. But nowhere does the Bible ever seem to point to the fact that this is a global event for everybody in all of history. I tend to always lean towards the view that we're in the tribulation now, and this is all metaphorical of very real things. I don't mean like it's metaphorical, none of this is really happening. The sunset is metaphorical, but it only paint, it paints, it points to a very scientific reality. And it can't mean anything else than the sun rotating, moving, however it doesn't, I know. But I don't know how to explain it in any other scientific way other than the complicated long one that I get. Yes, I do believe these things are literally happening throughout history. But I think they're being described in a metaphorical way, just like the sunset is a scientific reality, literal reality, but it's being explained in a metaphorical way. I've got butterflies in my stomach is not really true, but it points to a very true scientific reality. Okay, um, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse is not scientifically true, but it's a metaphor pointing to a very true scientific reality. Does that kind of make sense? And so that's what I tend to lean into is that we are in the tribulation right now, first coming to second coming. This is all happening at different times. This is what we can expect for the thousands of years before Christ comes back. They're literal judgments, but they're being metaphorically explained. That's where I tend to lean. But this is what I think is important. Why 777? God could have just said 21 judgments, right? But instead, he gives you a set of seven, another set of seven, another set of seven. Because seven is the number of completion. And three is the number of redemption. Very good. We have three redemption and seven completion. Three sets of seven. I think the main point that God is trying to communicate here is that the redemption of creation is complete with his judgments. No matter whether you take these sequentially or spiraling at different places in history or whether the three different perspectives from three different street corners, we can all agree that when we get through all 21 of these and it is final, like when God said it is finished and rested on the seventh day of creation and then the second member of the Trinity died on the cross and said it is finished, that we can all agree that when we get to the seventh of all these, it is finished. The judgment of God is complete and the redemption of creation is now final because all sin has been dealt with. And all these ultimately lead to chapter 17, the fall of Babylon, the praise of heaven for the fall of Babylon, and Jesus Christ in 19 coming back to the earth, literally, physically sitting on the throne of earth where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more evil. God wipes every tear away and there's no more chaos. And I think the main point is that this is his completion of redemption. This is his completion of redemption. And that's the main point. Wherever we are in these views, wherever we are in these stages, or if they're yet to happen in the future, when it's all said and done, we can be, it is now finished. It is now finished. Everything that we've desired, everything that we've prayed for is now finished. It is complete. 
Humanity and creation is now fully redeemed. Yes, we were redeemed from our sins through the cross, but creation hasn't been dealt with for their sins yet. Okay? The, the, the condemnation has been dealt with, but not the consequences, so to speak, or the people who reject the cross. And so I think that's the idea that we're seeing here. So the seven trumpets, verse 6 of chapter 8. Now the seven angels holding the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was thrown on the earth, so that a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. How would you like hailstone with fire and blood? What is that? These, a lot of these plagues match up with the plagues of Egypt. There was hailstone mixed with fire in the plagues of Egypt. You're going to see a lot of those connections. And I think the idea that God is doing here is I'm judging the world just like I judged Egypt. But the idea here is that this hailstone comes down and it hits the earth. And like we said, it is this, these are the ones that are very easy to say, this has to be future. This has to be future, if you take it literal. If you take it metaphorically, this is where it becomes very hard to see it matching up with anything. One-third. Why one-third? We're going to see this one-third, one-third, one-third over and over and over again. I don't think we can take the one-third literally for a couple reasons. Remember, numbers have always been symbolic so far in the apocalyptic literature. Everywhere in apocalyptic literature is symbolic. Seven is symbolic. We see this over and over again. Second, it's hard to see one-third of the judgment happening because eventually the sun is going to be struck one-third down, but then it's going to be hit again, and then it's going to be intensified that it scorches the earth. And it's really hard to take this literally like, if, if God is striking the sun so it goes one-third dark, does he take the dimmer switch and turn it all the way back up again on the sun so he can strike it one-third down again? But then he turns the dimmer switch back up again and then increases the dimmer switch even more so it just starts burning the crap out of everybody in a horrific kind of a sense. And, and so if this is something that's literally going to happen in the future, it's really hard to understand how this one-third eventually you don't have much left. And when we, like I said, when we have mountains collapsing and, and islands sinking and, and all the seas, and how do you have just one-third of the sea dead and poisoned? Like, is there a dividing line that happens? Is it 30% um, toxic and dying? Or is it like literally God just puts his hand down the ocean and says this half is? It just becomes very hard to see. And I know God can do anything. But God also tends to operate within the laws of physics that he created as well. And even when we see the plagues of Egypt, they're still obeying the, the laws of physics. They're just super scale. And even healings, you're like, oh, but like miraculously healing somebody of a disease or blindness, isn't that defying the laws of physics? No, that's just speeding it up. Because the body can heal itself. Doctors are able to heal people. It's just we do it way slower and there's some things that we can't do. And so even in miracles and healings, God is just taking the laws of physics and just speeding it up. Now, can God operate out of the laws of physics? Yeah. Can he make us all float upside down and walk on the sky for all? Yes. But we've never seen him do that. We don't see him operate that kind of way. And there doesn't seem to be a sense where the laws of physics are being suspended here. And like I said, I just don't see anybody being alive by the bowls to take any of this literally. If it was truly literal, I don't know how anybody would be alive. Now, granted, I know that's my finite understanding. Um, and I'm not saying 
this is definitely the way to view it. I'm just saying these are the things that my mind thinks about as I try to figure out what is the right view. <coughs> one third, now you have to understand, one third seems to be more the idea of that it's a limited, just the idea that it's limited. It's not everything, but it's limited. And I don't think the Jews would have taken one third literally. Remember, they're not as precise as we are when it comes to counting and numbering and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm not going to give a whole lot of commentaries on these because, like I said, these are the hardest. No matter what view you take, these are the hardest to explain. Verse 8. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain of burning fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures living in the sea died, and a third of the ships were completely destroyed. Once again, it's hard to see how just one-third died. What does that mean, 30% or just that one-third of the ocean? But a great mountain. Mountains, we've already talked about this. Mountains are sometimes symbolic of angels. Mountains are oftentimes throughout the Bible symbolic of kingdoms. So it could be a kingdom is just being destroyed in a war, and then all that sewage from the war is pouring into the ocean and killing everything. Or it could be the fact that we've dumped so much toxic waste and mercury and oil in the ocean that a percentage of it is being killed. I, I tend to lean more towards this is what we're doing to creation. We're poisoning our waters. And, and everybody agrees we're destroying our creation. The question is just, is that what, is what God's talking about here? Is, is this that? Or it could be a volcano erupting and that kind of stuff. There's lots of, yeah, it could be a volcano erupting and the ashes going in the ocean and poisoning everything. It could be the mercury and the toxic waste that we pour into it. I mean, the coral reefs are practically like dead and gone in the world because of us. Um, it could be a, lots of different things that are happening in some kind of way. Is it future of some big global thing or is it all happening now? It's hard to understand, hard to really nail it down. Verse 10, Then the third, the, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a huge star burning like a torch fell from the sky. It landed on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And now the name of the star is Wormwood. So a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the waters because they were poisoned. Now, this is interesting. Most people believe that this is an angel falling down and hitting it. And so if, if we take these as little cosmic things that are happening in one and two, why did all of a sudden we go spiritual? And, but spiritual affecting physical. And, and the fact that the, that the star is named, and you can see this, and I'm not going to quote you every passage because there's a lot of passages, but you can see in the notes there's lots of passages where stars mean angels. Even in Job, God says the stars sang out the praises of God as he created the world, and then synonymously says the angels praise God. And so it's clear that they're one and the same. And so this angel comes down. Now, is it a fallen angel? Uh, it seems like it. It hits the waters and everything starts dying. And th this is the, the, the fresh water now, not the oceans and salt water. It's called wormwood. Wormwood is basically translated as bitter. The waters become bitter. They're poisonous. People are drinking them and therefore people are dying. This Greek word is absinthe. This word, it's a plant that when you ground it up or squeezed it, and you know how you have the juice, it's not chlorophyll, but, and it comes out, when you, you taste it, it was very bitter. And it, it, would, um, it, can, um, it wouldn't kill you or poison you in itself unless it was in high doses. And it was used to treat worms, intestinal worms. 
and people in the ancient world. So you would drink it and it was bitter, it was nasty, it would like attack you and make you feel sick. But the most important thing is it was killing the, the tapeworm. And this is where we get the idea of wormwood. The idea is that there, and now you have to understand this, we are called worms in the Bible when we're in absolute rebellion against God. You are the image of God by creation and nature. You are a saint, a believer when you're following God. But when you're shaking your fist at God and saying, screw you, I'm going to do what I want and follow my heart and just have it my way and just do it. Don't you dare judge me. You're called a worm in the Bible. The worm is humans as far away from the image of God as they possibly can be and just outright rebellion. And this is why God used a worm to chew the vine over Jonah because he was acting like the worm in opposition to God. I want them to die. And so the idea is that a worm has infested humanity and creation. And God has now brought this star down to start poisoning the worm and killing it in judgment so that creation can survive. Yes, your body will get sick for a while as the worm, worm, tapeworm dies, but in the end, it will die before you, and you can be healthy after that. And the same thing, yes, creation will get poisoned and contaminated, but in the end, the worm will die and creation will be left over. That's a possible way of thinking about it. Another possibility is this is just natural disasters of us poisoning the fresh water, and we are the wormwood. We are the worm poisoning everything. We are the fallen angel. So these are just different possibilities of looking at. So the people who are sealed are not affected by this? That's the question. It seems that the seal is protecting them from the judgments of God, but at the same time, it's hard to understand that a third of everything is dying, creation being poisoned, and not one believer is being affected by that. Um, we know that we as believers are getting sick and dying because of the toxic nature of what we've done to creation. And so that's, that's the difficulty. Even with the plagues on Egypt, it is not crystal clear how many of the plagues did not touch the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites were following the Egyptian gods just as much as a lot of the non-Israelites. There's two places where we're told this did not affect Israel, but we're not clear. And a lot of people made the assumption, well, if it specifically says that these two didn't affect them, then we can assume that none of them affected them. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I tend to lean that way because it's simple, but um, it could be that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, this, these set of seven are hard. They're hard. I have a lot of I don't knows on this. Time, chronology, metaphorical, literal, Christians, that kind of stuff. And I'd rather just be honest and say, it could be this, it could be that, it could be that, it could be that. And I still have a general framework that I'm in, and I've told you that framework. But that doesn't mean I have everything figured out. Nor do I think, I, I don't feel the need to either. I don't feel the need to figure every little thing out. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. So a third of them were darkened, and there was no light for a third of the day, and for a third of the night likewise. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle. So we'll pause there. This could be solar eclipses. 
This could be volcanoes erupting and knocking out the sun for a while. It could be the coal-burning furnaces of the colonial days when they just darken the sky. You can read reports of people where they said the sun just went completely dark and the sun was the sky was dark because there were just so many coal-burning stoves that were just like um, filling the sky and earth. It could be living in California where you can barely see anything because of the smog. Um, it could be literal the sun going dead and dying out and leading to ultimately a supernova i don't know but either way what god is saying is that either he i think the main point is this and i don't mean main 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 as the literal only main point i just mean like big point humanity and creation is so intricately linked that whatever happens to the one is going to happen to the other and however we choose to act we don't just affect ourselves we also affect creation and when creation upheaves violently because of the fallen world it doesn't just affect creation also affects us and just like god took adam adam is adam right and the hebrew the name for the soil is adama and so god takes adam adam out of the adama breathes life into the adam and then takes the adam and puts it back in the adama the soil and then tells the adama the soil to give life to adam as it grows food and then tells the Adam, Adam, to take care of the soil and make it thrive with life. And there's a sense that they're intricately connected. And what happens together happens to the one. And then not only that, when we die, to the Adama we return from where we came from. And so even in death, we become one with it again. And, and so God created the land for and humans to be so connected that we're literally dependent upon each other. And there are times in the Bible where God judges us for how we deal with creation. We are going to be judged for our pollution of creation, our, our, our raping of the resources and the exploitation of things. But at the same time, the land is what links God and humans together because it's, the land is where God comes and meets humans in space, time, and matter. And so there's this three-way linking between them all. God is responsible for creation and looks over it, the linking. Humans and land are linked together because they need each other. And then the land is where humans and God come together and link together in space, time, and matter. And so there's a sense that no matter how you look at this, I think it's important to understand that our sin is affecting creation. Now, whether that's because we are sinning and we are polluting and destroying one-third of this kind of stuff, and God is allowing this to happen because that's what we deserve, or whether this is literal and God is literally striking these things down in literal cosmic senses, but he's doing that because we deserve it because of our sin. Either way, we don't live in vacuums, and we don't live on islands. What we do affects other people, what we do affects God, and what we do affects creation. And whatever judgments come from God is going to affect everything. And I think that's an important thing to know, is that this is all intricately linked. I don't know how to interpret each one of these, but I do know that God is making the point, we're all connected. We're all connected. And, and whatever we do, in this mentality like, well, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to be around here for this, or it's just the planet. Ah, that's a, I know not every Christian has said that, but I have heard a lot of Christians throughout history say that. And that just completely misunderstands creation, the heart of God, our symbiotic, for lack of a better phrase, 
connection to the creation, that kind of stuff. And I think that's where I really would just like to lean on that as I know that. That I can say. That I can affirm. Verse 13. So there's a pause now. And then I looked and I heard an eagle flying directly overhead, proclaiming with a loud voice, Whoa, 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 to those who live on the earth because of the remaining sound of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to blow them. Now, whoa, 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 the eagle flies over. And yes, the eagle can talk because this is metaphorical and dreamlike. And the angel says, whoa, 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 there are three woes left or three woes to come, which are going to match up with the last three judgments. And I think the idea that's being communicated is if you think this is bad, wait till you get a load of this. You haven't seen anything yet. And when we read the last three, it is straight out of nightmares. It is straight out of nightmares. Nightmares. 